Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, and I'm talking with you once again this week about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Now today, I want to talk primarily to those of you who are pastors and preachers and otherwise involved in communicating the Word of God in large group settings. Now, if you're not one of those people, I hope you'll still listen to the podcast and find ways to implement and apply what I'm talking about today, and maybe even encourage the person that preaches to you uh, to listen to the podcast and maybe pick up a few thoughts that might help him in his work. Today, I want to talk about the importance of and some methods of giving a public invitation. Now, let's talk just for a minute about the history of this and why I think it's important that I do a podcast on it right now. When I first started out in ministry leadership, particularly in pastoral ministry 40 years ago, it was very common in every service for the preacher to extend a public invitation for response. And quite frankly, I was in a church from the time I was converted until the time I left for seminary, about 10 years of my life, when I can hardly remember a service that people did not come publicly in response to the worship experience and express in some public way a response to God in the service. Now, that does not mean that people were coming forward in every service to be saved, but the worship services were so constructed that there was a capacity for response built into the service planning, and people responded because there was both an expectation and an opportunity and a planned capacity, if you will, for that to take place within the allotted worship time. So, I grew up in that kind of a context. When I moved into pastoral ministry, it was very common for me to extend an invitation, certainly at the end of every Sunday service, and in other contexts as well, meaning that I gave a public opportunity for people to respond to what they had experienced in the worship service, and particularly as a result of hearing the preaching of the Word of God. Now, fast forward over the last 20 years. I have experienced fewer and fewer churches that are giving public invitations and fewer even still who are doing it well. Now, I realize there's still a large number of of churches, particularly Baptist churches, that are still giving public invitations and doing it well, and I applaud you for that. But I want to talk today about to those of you particularly who've either stopped doing this or who have never had a good model of how to do it, therefore you don't know how to do it well, so you're afraid of doing it or you're concerned about doing it, I want to talk with you today about some of the reasons why it's important to give a public invitation and then some of the ways to invite people to respond publicly to a worship experience. Now, the first thing I want to say is uh, there are some reasons that people give me why they are reluctant to give an invitation. Let me just quickly go through those. First, sometimes there are theological reasons. Some people uh, believe that the gospel will penetrate a person's heart when it's ready, and they do not need to ask a person for a commitment or implore a person to respond or seek in any way to persuade a person to make a response. So they have a theological conviction which prohibits them from in any way Uh, involving themselves in what they perceive to be entirely the work of God in bringing a person to response. Another reason people are reluctant is they, they don't want to embarrass anyone. They don't want to put anyone on the spot or have anyone do something publicly which might embarrass them. 
This taps into research that's been done that shows that the number one fear that people have uh, is speaking in public. Number one fear. And so to take that away of any kind of public acknowledgement or any kind of public speaking or any kind of public uh, presentation, people say, well, I don't want to embarrass anyone. I don't want to put anyone on the spot, so therefore, no invitation. Another reluctance is that some people don't want to appeal to emotions. They don't really want to appeal to people's feelings or appeal to them in a way that, they, that would induce some kind of response that they consider less logical or less factual or less, less uh, uh, will-oriented. They want to stay away from emotions. Well, of course, all of us would decry any kind of emotional response or emotionalism as being sufficient to make a real spiritual commitment. But what's wrong with us that we've lost the reality that our spirituality is emotional? It is supposed to evoke something within us that causes us to want to respond with joy and with tears and with other kinds of expressions that really do connect emotionally with the gospel. Another reason that some people don't give invitations is they just don't know how to do it well. Now, I grew up in, a, in an era where I saw this modeled by all kinds of pastors and all kinds of guest speakers, and so I saw lots of different ways to go about this and lots of different ways to do it well. I also saw mistakes made that I wanted to avoid and things like that. And so some of you don't give an invitation because you just don't know how. You don't know how to do it well. And we're going to talk about some things you can do in this podcast, but another thing you can do besides what you can learn on the podcast today is to find a pastor who does this very well and ask them for some coaching, some guidance, maybe watch some video of how they do it, and then have some dialogue with them to help understand how to do this better. And then, frankly, another reason that some people want to give an invitation is they don't want to risk looking bad. In other words, if you give an invitation Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and no one ever comes, it can be discouraging to you and also, in a sense, make you look bad because it doesn't appear that people are actually responding to the worship service you're planning or the preaching that you've just accomplished. So there's a lot of reasons, a lot of reasons why uh, people are reluctant to give public invitations as a part of a worship experience. But now let's switch more to the positive, and let's talk about why we should give an invitation. And the first reason is theological. It's because the gospel demands response. The gospel invites response. The gospel, as it's described in the New Testament, when it's presented, often involves persuasion. And so when you are presenting something persuasively that calls for, if not demands, a response, then our theology motivates us to give an invitation and ask people to respond to the gospel that we've been preaching to them. Now, second connected to that theologically is that worship also prompts response. I think sometimes uh, there's a fallacy that the invitation is at the end of the sermon, so therefore it's an invitation based only on the sermon. A good invitation is a part of a cohesively planned worship experience whereby everything that's done prior to the invitation is guiding people toward making that kind of public response. So whether you have prayers, scripture readings, responsive readings, testimonies, videos, sermons, whatever you have in your service, all of it is planned cohesively 
to bring people to a point of responding on a particular theme or a particular idea, a particular concept, or a particular commitment that you're asking them to make as a result of participating in this worship experience. That's why, as a pastor, I never delegated worship planning to anyone else. Now, I was fortunate I almost always worked with skilled musicians who were very vital partners in leading the worship service. And I often asked them to do a good bit of the worship planning and to bring it with them to meet with me about developing the entire scope of service that we were trying to accomplish that particular event. But as a pastor, it's my responsibility to make sure that every aspect of what happens in a worship service is thematically connected, is organically uh, interrelated, and is bringing people through a process of discovery to a point of response as a part of the worship service. So our theology of the gospel, I think, demands response, and our theology and practice of worship prompts response. You know, when you've had a really powerful worship experience that includes preaching and praying and scripture and other kinds of motivators to think about and reflect upon a person's relationship with God, when you get to the end of that and you don't give people an opportunity to respond, it's like an unfinished chord on the piano where you play those notes and you leave that last one off and you're just waiting, please, please, please play that last note. That unfinished sense of business not quite done is what I think happens when you have a worship experience without any opportunity for response. So, why give an invitation? Because our theology of the gospel demands it, and our theology and practice of worship demands it. But even beyond that, some additional reasons. Another reason to give an invitation in a public worship service is that people are evidencing openness to the gospel and a desire to connect with God just by coming to church. You know, this is one of the most uh, insightful things that came to me a number of years ago when I was still a pastor. It dawned on me one day that the people who were coming to church were only coming because they had spiritual interest. They wanted a connection with God, and they wanted to hear instruction from the Bible as the Word of God. They really wanted that. If they didn't, they would have been like the hundreds of thousands of other people in my community who did not choose to go to anyone's church on that particular Sunday. Listen, you are probably vastly underestimating the spiritual interest that is being demonstrated by someone who actually comes to church. When a person comes to a worship service, they are demonstrating that they have a desire to have a connection with God and that they are interested in some instruction from the Word of God. And if they are that open that they will get up and come to a worship service, then I think you could logically conclude that they may at some point also be open to making a commitment of themselves to the God they've come to worship and the gospel they've come to hear. Now, here's another reason to give a public invitation, and that is if people come to a worship service, particularly where you are the speaker, what they are saying by their participation and attendance is they trust you enough that they believe you will speak to them a word from God. That is a heavy responsibility. When someone comes to hear you speak, they are saying, I believe you 
have something to say to me from the Word of God that will make a real difference in my life. And so people are demonstrating, evidencing real trust when they come to hear you speak in a worship service context. Then here's another reason. People want to and are most likely to respond in a safe environment. People are being asked in a worship service to connect with God, to hear the Word of God, and to make a response. And they need to be helped to understand that a church worship service is the safest place they will ever make a response to God. It's the place where they're least likely to be ridiculed, persecuted, attacked, made fun of, questioned. When a person comes to a worship service and then makes a public a public commitment of some kind in the context of that service, that is the warmest, safest, best place possible that that could ever be done. And so if you're thinking, well, I don't want to give an invitation because I don't want to ask anyone to do anything you know, in our church that they might be, feel uncomfortable doing, well, I would just ask you this, where are they going to feel more comfortable? Where they work? A- at home with their family? On a ball field somewhere with some friends? No. The place they're going to feel the safest to make a spiritual commitment is in the context of the safety of a church and the people who are gathered there for worship. And then the last reason I would say about why give a public open invitation is that Jesus often called people publicly. In fact, some people say Jesus always called people publicly. But I think you could say safely, he often did it, if not always. You go through story after story after story in the Gospels, and you will see Jesus calling people to follow him, either in a public context or then immediately sending them into a public context to declare their faith in some significant way. Jesus called people publicly, and therefore, I think we need to consider doing the same thing. Now, having said these reasons people are reluctant and some reasons why I think this is an important part of worship, let me now give you six or seven different ways that I see churches giving public invitations today that are very effective. Now, you may say, well, which one's best? Well, which one's best depends on the worship service that you've designed, the location of the service, uh, the technology available to you in the service, the kind of response people are accustomed to making in your context. There's all kinds of reasons why there's no one of these that's the best, while any one of these could be the best in a particular situation. So let me give you some ideas. The first one is a prayer invitation, a prayer invitation. Now, there's a church here in Southern California that does this extremely well. When the pastor concludes his sermon every Sunday, he says, and now uh, we're moving into a time of prayer, and we're going to give everyone in this room who needs someone to pray with you the opportunity to be prayed for this morning. Now, while he's saying that, these trained prayer counselors are coming and standing across the front. Now, this is a larger church, so they'll typically have 20 or 30 of these people standing across the front. And as they're coming and taking their places, the pastor's talking about, you've worshiped God this morning, you've heard his word preached, you've come today with burdens, you've come today with issues, you need someone to pray for you. And then he might even enumerate, you may need a job, you may have a child that's in rebellion, you may have a health crisis, 
You may need wisdom for a decision at your work, but today's the day to come for prayer. As we stand and sing, you come right now if you want someone to pray for you. And they stand and they sing very softly or have just instrumental music. And I cannot describe to you how powerful this is, but people come streaming down the aisles to be prayed for. And as they come forward, they're just paired off with someone at the front. And that person asks their name, asks their request, and just prays for them. There's not a lot of long discussion or chit-chat or anything like that. Now, these prayer counselors are also trained to, after they've prayed with a person, say, you know, a lot of times when uh, a person comes forward, they have another issue or two they'd like to talk about. Is there anything else on your mind you'd like to mention to me today? Or they'll also ask, you know, Sometimes when people come forward like this, they're really also questioning their own connection to God. Do you feel certain that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And out of this prayer altar call, this prayer response time every Sunday, they'll have one, two, three people who will voice that, no, they're not sure they're a Christian, and yes, they'd like to talk with someone about that. And so then the prayer counselor either hands them over or themselves turns into the witness counselor and starts sharing the gospel with this person who's come forward. Now, This prayer response time is a powerful part of the worship experience. But now listen carefully to what I'm about to say. It's not a tack-on or an add-on or something that's rushed at the end. No. This church knows they have about 70 minutes for their worship service, and then they have a break, and they have another worship service to follow. And so they know that the preacher has to be done by a certain time and the prayer altar call start by a certain time because this prayer altar call is going to go on for five to seven minutes and as it's going on, their people are going to have time to come, to be prayed for, and to be uh, cared for in this particular way. Now, this is a kind of public invitation that is uh, powerful and beautiful. After I saw this the first time, I actually asked the pastor, how did you come to do this? And he said, you know, over the years, we just realized that there wasn't enough praying in our worship services. And they're a multi-ethnic church, and he said, I discovered that the the only people who, who didn't want to pray more in our service, and he tapped himself on the chest and said, we're old white guys like me. He said, I look across this congregation, especially at these young mothers, and they all talk to God on a regular basis about their lives and their children, their families. And I just knew people wanted to pray more than I was willing to lead them to pray. And I knew I needed to change in this. So he said, I started the prayer altar call and people started streaming forward. And we've been doing it for years as a way to give people an opportunity to respond publicly in worship and get much more prayer as a part of our worship experience together. Now, that's one way of giving a public invitation that focuses on prayer, but also, of course, has some follow-up question that enables you to discover other spiritual interest needs or even interest about the gospel. Okay, a second way of response. A second way of response is to ask people to complete a card or to text in information about their decision. Now, this does not involve people coming forward, but it does involve them responding publicly by indicating their name, their address, their spiritual decision they're making on a card, or texting that information to a particular number that you put on the screen so that people have an immediate moment to say, I've worshiped, I've heard the word of God, and now I'm being asked to respond, not by walking forward or raising my hand or any of these other kinds of things that we can sometimes do, but by putting it on a card or sending it in by text and letting someone know 
that I have made a spiritual decision today, that I have a prayer request for today, or that I have um, made a certain spiritual decision that I want follow-up regarding. Now, if you do this, it is imperative that you respond promptly to every one of these people who gives you a card. Now, when I was a church planter in Oregon, this was the primary way of response that we used in most worship services. Uh, We were meeting in a school. I had largely unchurched, irreligious people who had very little experience with coming forward in any kind of public way in a worship service. But yet I needed them to be able to respond publicly and openly and to tell me what was happening with them so that I could respond and follow up with them on a meaningful, in a meaningful way. And we tracked it over the years, and frankly, uh, we got about 10% of the, res- of the number of people in any service, we get about 10% cards back every week with meaningful commitment or meaningful questions or meaningful response that required immediate follow-up. So if there were 200 people present, I'd get about 20 cards. And out of those 20 cards, that afternoon, I'd start making the phone calls and the contacts. Some of them, it was a simple phone call for a prayer over the phone. Others, it was a phone call to say, can we sit up lunch this week or can I come by your home this week sometime and talk with you and and help you with your response? And I found that when people had indicated a response to me using those cards back in the day, that they were open to my contact and were ready ready for some kind of follow-up conversation about what they had indicated was their concern. Now, again, I did it back in the day with uh, commitment cards. You can certainly do it today with those. You can also do it today with texting. I mentioned earlier that some of this, uh, choosing one of these uh, methods of response is sometimes tied to the technology available to you or to the setting where you're located. And certainly there are some places, like perhaps you're out at a camp or something where there's very poor signal, no internet, you're going to want to use an old-fashioned, write-it-on-a-card response. But if you're in a setting where you can make those kind of electronic responses, you have a younger church, very comfortable with their phones, really willing to respond that way more quickly than any other way, then you can certainly set up a simple text response and let people do that. Now, another type of invitation that I don't want to rush away from too quickly is what I refer to as a come-forward invitation for salvation. A come-forward invitation, asking people in the moment, will you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and will you come right now? Now, you might say, well, isn't that only appropriate when there's been an evangelistic message? Not necessarily. It's appropriate in any worship service where the gospel has been presented, where worship has been conducted, where people have come into the presence of and encountered God. It's also appropriate because people during the week may have received a gospel witness, read a gospel track, watched a a television program or listened to something on the radio, and they've come on a Sunday thinking about the gospel. And while your message may be about the family or maybe about money or may not be directly about evangelism and the gospel, people are being impacted by the gospel in ways you may not even understand. And giving an invitation shows that you recognize that God is at work even beyond what you've preached or what you've done in the worship service, and you can call people to come publicly to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, my favorite place this is done every year is at a meeting that I participate in every December. I've been involved with a ministry entitled Calling for Christ for a number of years. This is a ministry to professional umpires in North America. 
There's about 300 professional umpires at any given time. These are people who umpire in the major leagues and in the minor leagues uh, of, of professional baseball across the country. And every December, we have a retreat just for these guys, and we invite them to come to a retreat center north of Dallas, Texas, and we spend three days preaching and studying and eating and uh, doing a lot of guy things like shooting guns and riding four-wheelers and, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, we have, a worship, we have worship services each night and uh, one afternoon while we're there. And in one of those worship services, we give a public invitation for salvation a come-forward public invitation for salvation. And basically, the leader of the ministry, who is himself a major league umpire, stands up in front of all of his peers and says, I'm a follower of Jesus. You've heard the gospel preached tonight by our guest speaker. Now tonight, I want to ask you if you will stand up and walk up here with me, and by doing so, say that you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, I have to tell you, the first time I saw this, I cringed. I thought, man, that is bold. Man, that's going to put people on the spot. Man, I hope he knows what he's doing up there. And to my surprise, guys started standing up. One, two, three, four. Every year, there's guys that stand up, walk forward, and they'll say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Right in front of all their peers. That's kind of blunt, direct, decide right now invitation. You might think, oh, I could never do that. Well, you might be surprised. You know, there are some contexts where men thrive on straightforward communication and asking for direct commitment. When I speak in a military context or any kind of athletic team or among any kind of high-functioning professionals, I've found that they appreciate a very short, direct, clear-cut message, and they are not offended when I say, now it's time to decide. What are you going to do about this? Because that's the way they live, and that's the way they think. You know, it's interesting. In that context, we've had umpires who've umpired in front of 50,000 people struggle to stand up and to walk forward in front of 50 of their peers, but they do it. And they do it because in that moment, they know it's commitment time. So the come forward is still an option. Now, there's a couple of other options that uh, kind of go hand in hand together, depending on your context and where you're located and the, the venue you're using. Uh, raising your hand is another good way of inviting people to respond. I was a part of a church plant once that met in a facility that really wasn't conducive to much come forward kind of response not even for prayer, and certainly not for salvation. It just was difficult to do in the venue in which we were having to meet. So the pastor developed a simple way of saying, if you need prayer today, raise your hand and let me acknowledge it. And, at the, and if you would like to talk with me today about receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior, raise your hand and let me acknowledge that. If you'd like today to talk about some other spiritual issue or spiritual concern you have, raise your hand and let me acknowledge that. And by having people raise their hands and he was acknowledging and making quick notes to himself after the service, he would get back with those people who'd raise their hands and say, hey, I noticed you acknowledged in service today you needed prayer or you wanted to talk about a spiritual concern. Let's get together and do that very soon. Now, this worked particularly well in the early years of that new church plant when there weren't as many people, and the pastor could do that very effectively. But this idea of raise your hand or stand up 
where you are. These are variations on a public response that you're asking for when the venue or the setting or maybe even the way the furniture is arranged doesn't facilitate some of these other kinds of responses. So I've given you four or five or six different ideas here. Let me give you one more that I still think is another very helpful way. And that is, that as a part of public worship, you invite people at the end, not so much to come forward in front of everyone, but instead to go immediately to an inquiry room or a response room or a dialogue room so that they might have the opportunity to talk with someone there about their response in the worship service. Now, I know one church that does this uh, relatively well. They have a building that has a multi-purpose worship center, and off the side of that, they have a couple of larger rooms that they've been able to make uh, very attractive with some nice decor. They have double doors that open so you don't feel like you're walking into a dark place or into a cave or wondering where they're taking me. But the pastor just says, uh, over the next few moments as we conclude our service, we're going to have some quiet music playing. I'll ask you to bow your heads and reflect on all that's happened here today. And if you'd like to talk with someone for just a few moments about spiritual issues in your life or prayer concerns that you have, or maybe about what it would mean to commit your life to Jesus, just very quietly while we're waiting, just stand up and walk to this right to your to my right, your left, and you'll see people waiting in our in our response room where you can go and make a response and have a conversation about this message and this worship service. And every Sunday. A few people will get up and quietly slip in there. And then he'll also say, as the service is concluding and we lead this final prayer, when I'm finished, if you still have questions or you'd still like to have dialogue, just slip into that room and people will be glad to talk with you when you arrive. And they have half a dozen people trained and ready to go in that room for people who come in and make response. Well, the gospel demands response. There are reasons why people are reluctant, but I don't think those overcome the theological mandate that we have to present a compelling gospel in a way that people can respond and to structure worship services that are conducive to people connecting with God and wanting to respond to Him. I've given you half a dozen ways that you can facilitate public response and in the midst of worship, gather together people who need your help in making the response to God they really want to make as a result of worship and word that they've experienced in your congregation. I hope you will think through these options, consider the context in which you're working, look at both the opportunity you have, the the facility you're using, the spiritual context in which you're trying to minister, and all other factors that may impact your choice. But I hope you will choose, first of all, to have public response as a structured, carefully planned, an integrated part of your worship experience. And then secondly, I hope you'll think through these different options and pick the one or more than one that work best for you and put them into practice. Do this well as you lead on.